0: This is Fresh Air. I'm Terry Gross. There have been many books written about Hitler, but a new one called Blitzed focuses on something that's often in the background in biographies, Hitler's drug use. Drugs including oxycodone and cocaine prescribed by his doctors. The book is also about how the German soldiers in World War II were amped up by methamphetamine, which enabled them to keep fighting for days without sleeping. The book is based in part on papers that were declassified in the past few years, as well as the private records of Hitler's personal physician, Dr. Theo Morell, who kept track of the approximately 90 varieties of injections and pills he gave to Hitler, including treatments made from animal hormones. My guest is the author of Blitz, Norman Ohler. He's a German novelist and filmmaker. He planned to write a novel about drugs in the Third Reich, but after starting to do the research, he decided he wanted to write about the facts. Norman Ohler, welcome to Fresh Air. So just to set the context, before the war, Germany was already a major manufacturer and exporter of opiates. What were some of the drugs Germany was known for before the war started?
1: Basically all the drugs we know today at one point were German products. Heroin, for example, uh, was a patent uh, by the Bayer Company. Cocaine uh, was um, a trademark of the Merck Company in Darmstadt. It's surprising to see that um, Germany at one point was an inventor of drugs uh, of all kinds.
0: So Germany also manufactured a lot of methamphetamine under the trademark name Pervidin.
1: The irony of the story is that when the Nazis took power in 1933, they imposed strict laws against drugs. They were the first German government to actually wage a war on drugs. But then in the mid-1930s, there was a company in Berlin called Temmler, which developed um, a new type of medicine, as they called it in the beginning, uh, which was methamphetamine, which they branded as Pavitin. And Pavitine methamphetamine, which we now know as crystal meth, or that at least it's the street name, was perfectly legal and uh, was seen as a legitimate way of boosting your your daily performance. It was like a a potent cup of coffee.
0: Hitler, you say, had a reputation for being anti-drug, for being a teetotaler, and for being something of like a health fanatic, like a vegetarian. This was part of his myth. But you document that he was taking an extraordinary cocktail of drugs. Um, what are some of the drugs that he took during the war
1: years? Hitler met a doctor called Theo Morel in 1936, and Morel was famous for giving vitamin injections. And Hitler, with, with his uh, healthy diet, immediately believed in, in this doctor and uh, got daily vitamin injections for about five years and uh, said to everyone that wanted to hear it that morel is um is elevating his uh, healthy diet um onto a scientific level by giving him these vitamin injections but then in, as the war turned difficult for germany in 1941 against russia in, in the fall um hitler got sick for the first time um he couldn't go to the military briefing which was unheard of before in military headquarters and Morel gave him something different that day. He gave him an opiate that day and he also gave him a, a hormone injection. And Hitler, who had suffered from high fever, immediately felt well again and was able to, um to tell his generals to go to the meeting and, and tell the generals how the war should uh, continue, how that how the daily operations should continue. And he was really struck by this immediate recovery from this uh, opiate, which was called Dolantin. That's the brand name of the opiate that he was taking that day. Um, From that moment on, he asked Morel to give him stronger stuff than just vitamins. And we can see that from the fall of 1941 to the uh, winter of 1944, Hitler's uh, drug abuse uh, increases significantly.
0: So um, would you run through some of the drugs that Hitler took over the course of the war?
1: I could identify three phases in in Hitler's uh, drug career. Uh, the first one are the vitamins uh, given in high dosages intravenously. Um, the second phase starts in the fall of 1941 with the first uh, opiate, but especially with the first hormone injections. Um, morell was really into giving steroids, um, animal products. Uh, he manufactured concoctions of animal organs in his own lab in occupied Czechoslovakia and gave those to Hitler. So these are, I guess we could call them typical doping um, substances. Um, he gave a lot of those between 1941 and 1943. And then in 43, the third phase starts, which is the heavy opiate phase. Uh, before a decisive meeting with Mussolini, Morel gives Hitler a half synthetic opioid, as it's called, um, uh, with the brand name Oikodal. The active ingredient is oxycodone.
0: So, oxycodone is very addictive. And you tried to figure out, like, how much oxy did Hitler get? And you had access to Dr. Morel's notes and his journals. And he very carefully recorded all of the, you know, uh, vitamins and shots that he gave Hitler. And he lists specifically 24 different injections of oxycodone under the name uh, Oikodol. But um, you say every time, there are a lot of injections where it's just listed as X. And you make the assumption that every time the doctor writes X, it stands for the oxycodone. Why do you make that assumption? What can you back that up with?
1: Actually, I don't claim that every time Morell writes X, it's oxycodone. Um, I examine a few instances carefully when he does write X and try to figure out what's, what's behind the X. Um, for example, on July 20th, 1944, um, Stauffenberg's bomb goes off in the Führer headquarters, the assassination attempt. And uh, Hitler is quite severely injured uh, in that incident. Uh, he has hundreds of splinters in his body that have to be extracted individually. His eardrums are blown. And. Um, he's he's quite badly shaken actually from that explosion that took place uh, in the very room uh, where he attended the military briefing uh, where he was leading the military briefing and um coincidentally a few hours after the um explosion there was uh, a meeting with Mussolini who was arriving uh in the Wolf's Lair that very day This um, was his headquarters. Yeah, the headquarters in East Prussia which now is Poland and um Obviously, everyone wanted to cancel the meeting with Mussolini because that's just been an assassination attempt, and uh, other officers, uh, generals, have been uh, dying in uh, in that in that bomb attack. And Hitler was severely injured, um, uh, but he called Morel to give him uh, one of these uh, shots that would immediately restore his health and make him function again as the dictator. And Morel um, administers a shot. a few minutes after the devastating uh, bomb had had gone off and um Morell just writes x and um but then another doctor comes in and uh, takes out all these splinters uh and from from Hitler's body and treats uh the uh, blown eardrums um and writes in his report uh, later to the US intelligence um that he was absolutely amazed that Hitler felt no pain whatsoever. Um, he said, This is basically impossible that a person would be able to endure uh, those treatments uh, without showing any signs of pain. So, for me, it's pretty clear that the X uh, given on that day uh, was a strong painkiller and was most probably Oikodal because that was Hitler's preferred uh, narcotic and, and painkiller. So, um, I try to be quite careful in examining what that X stands for. It's kind of like detective work, trying to f- to figure out what is most plausible. And then of course we see quite often after the bomb attack on July 20th uh, that Morel explicitly writes Oikodal. For example, in September of 1944, um, there's a week when Hitler receives Oikodal every other day in the dosage of 20 milligrams intravenously, which is a, a very high dosage. Um, and oikodol, if you receive it on a regular basis, for example, every other day on in, in such a high dosage, does make you dependent after two weeks.
0: So you think Hitler got addicted to oikodol, which is basically oxy? Absolutely. Do you think Hitler or Morell understood that Hitler was addicted to some of the drugs he was taking.
1: Hitler spent more time with Morel than with any other person. And um, the two men would talk quite openly about the drugs and medicines that Morel would give Hitler. Hitler was quite interested in the subject of uh, medication and thought he was an expert in it. Um, I assume that um, Hitler kind of pushed it back in his mind what was actually going on. For him, it was important to be able to function at all times, um, to never have a day off, because he distrusted anyone uh, in his surroundings, especially the generals. He had to take all the military decisions. He only came to the conclusion that Morel actually had made him addicted to opiates very late uh, in the war, uh, namely when he fired Morel uh, in late April 1945, several witnesses uh, who were present in the bunker uh, at that uh, particular moment reported uh, that Hitler shouted at Morell, you have been giving me opiates the whole time, get out of the bunker and leave me alone. Um, so it looks like it came as a revelation to Hitler that uh, he's been He's been drugging himself, in a way, through Morell the whole time.
0: So getting back to this time after the assassination attempt, when there was shrapnel in Hitler's body, his eardrums were seriously injured, and a different doctor, not Dr. Morel, but another doctor came to treat him and was shocked that Hitler could handle the pain, and you think it's because he was given oxycodone before that by Dr. Morel. So this second doctor, after the assassination attempt, treated Hitler with cocaine. So if Hitler had already been on oxycodone and then was given cocaine at the same time for the wounds that he suffered after the assassination attempt, you say that's a classic speedball. So what is a speedball, and what impact does it have on the person who's taken it?
1: Speedball is a term um, for a drug combination of a very strong sedative, uh, like um, an opiate, which in Hitler's case would be the oxy, and um, a stimulant like cocaine. You have the so-called speedball effect, which creates uh, very strong euphoria, but is also very tiring, obviously, uh, for the system. Hitler needed those highs to substitute uh, his natural charisma, which he had had in the years prior, but which he had lost uh, in the course of the war when the war started to look very bad f- uh, for the Germans. Um, he needed something that would enable him to go into, into those uh, meetings and radiate that sort of confidence that would convince his generals to stay on track, um, to not change tactics, and to continue believing in the so-called seek, the final victory, which was exactly Hitler's strategy, and uh, which was a completely irrational strategy, and uh, which his generals tried to change over and over again. But um, over and over again, they were beaten in those military briefings, or they were convinced during those military briefings by Hitler's optimistic uh, um, way of presenting the situation, that in fact Hitler knew something that they didn't know, that Hitler had information that he obviously couldn't share with them, that he had perhaps a secret weapon up his sleeve that would change the the war around in the last second. Uh, So there's many reports um, of people who took part in those military briefings in the second half of 1944, being completely surprised uh, by the optimism of their Führer.
0: So just one more question about the assassination attempt. Why would cocaine have been the drug prescribed when Hitler was wounded from the assassination attempt?
1: This doctor that came in, he was a ear, nose, and throat specialist his name is Giesing, he was questioned after the war by US intelligence and uh, made the statement that he was looking for an anesthesia to um, calm Hitler's pain uh, in his eardrums and in basically in his head and that he used cocaine and um, it's not so unusual actually because there weren't so many drugs available uh, to use for that effect so Giesing chose cocaine to numb uh, Hitler's head pain and there's um, a few conversations uh, that he uh, records that took place between Hitler and him um, between early August and October of 1944. Now he gave Hitler cocaine about 50 times during that period of time. A few conversations that he records uh, where Hitler talks about the effect that cocaine has on him. He says uh, things like, uh, doctor, give me that cocaine again. It will take the pressure away that I have in my head. It will enable me to think clearly again. It will enable me um, to get rid of my headaches. Um, so I suppose uh, the cocaine, which also has a euphoric um, making effect was also to uh, Hitler's taste, in a way.
0: Is there any evidence that Hitler ever went through withdrawal from one of the addictive drugs that he was taking?
1: What puzzles everyone who studies uh, Hitler in those last months of his life is his shaking, his tremor. It can even be seen on some of the footage that's Uh, that has been shot and has been released uh, even by the Nazi propaganda machine uh, where we can see Hitler shaking the hands of uh, young kids, uh, Hitler youth, uh, very late in the war effort and um, his his whole body is shaking and his hand is shaking uh, without even shaking the hands of these kids, his hand is already shaking and um, some historians have claimed that this is the result of Parkinson's disease because Morell, in fact, administered a medicine against Parkinson's once uh, in April 1945. Um, So perhaps Hitler did suffer from Parkinson's. It's a bit hard to say uh, in retrospect. What we can say is that Morell writes in his notes that he is lacking um, the drugs that he had been given Hitler uh, in late 1944. In 1945, these drugs are not available to him uh, anymore or they're hard to come by. Um, he writes about sending two of his aides on motorcycles through bombed out Berlin uh, with the um, prescriptions that he wrote for Hitler, trying to find pharmacies uh, in destroyed Berlin that are still able to supply uh, him and Hitler uh, with uh, drugs like Oikodal. Um, Fact is that the Merck company uh, in Darmstadt uh, had been destroyed by British uh, air raids in December 1944. Um, So uh, Merck was not able to produce Eukodal anymore. And um, Morrell doesn't give any of the potent substances that he gave Hitler before. Uh, He doesn't give any of those uh, in 1945, which... um, leads to the conclusion that he that he didn't have those drugs anymore and if you take oxycodone intravenously for some time and suddenly um, you're not able to get the drug anymore you will certainly suffer from withdrawal symptoms so I believe that Hitler's deteriorating health in, in 1945 when he was in the bunker in Berlin um, that wreck of a man that uh, we we uh, we we can we can witness uh, um, in certain photos or, or in, in that footage that that came out of that uh, that time uh, is due to um, withdrawal symptoms.
0: So methamphetamine seems to be the drug most associated with the German soldiers uh, during World War II, and you write a little bit about. Uh, Dr. Otto Rank, who is the director of the Research Institute of Defense Physiology uh, in the Third Reich, and he wanted to find a way to stop fatigue in soldiers and came up with the idea of using meth. So can you talk a little bit about that decision on his part?
1: Professor Otto Rank realized in 1938 that there was a medicine out there that uh, was highly popular in the German civilian population. This was pervitin, methamphetamine. And he read some of the studies that had been done in German universities on the effects of methamphetamine. And these studies concluded that methamphetamine reduces the fear level if given in high dosages and also reduces the need to sleep. And those two factors seemed very uh, interesting to Ranke for German soldiers, or for soldiers in general, because uh, to reduce the fear level and to reduce the need for sleep could be two decisive factors that could give a soldier an edge in battle over the enemy. So he started doing tests um, in 1938 and in 1939 on young medical officers in Berlin, gave them uh, methamphetamine, gave them coffee, uh, and gave them placebos and compared the results. And um, he came to the conclusion that meth is a perfect drug for soldiers. And he suggested this to his superiors. He said we should distribute meth officially among the troops. Um, but he wasn't successful in the beginning. And then the war against Poland started. Um, and he wrote to all the medical officers in the field asking for reports on whether uh, Pervitin was already being used and what were the effects. And he received a lot of uh, reports uh, from the Polish front. These reports are now archived in Freiburg in the German military archive. And um, they paint a vivid picture of how meth was beneficial to the German invasion of Poland. Um, There's descriptions of soldiers being more able to uh, carry out their job, as it was called, uh, to stay awake, uh, to overrun the enemy, to stay fresh to not be depressed about the job. And and so Ranke compiled these um, positive findings and again went to his superiors and said, for the next campaign, which was the campaign against uh, the West, uh, the attack on Belgium, Holland, and France, her routine should now be officially distributed. And um, this time um, it was. The German uh, high command issued a so-called stimulant decree in April of 1940 describing to um, the medical officers um, of the army how they should administer Pervitine to their men. What, how much what was that they description?
0: Should- like how, how frequently were the soldiers expected to take it? Was it only on the days of battles that they had planned on? Like What was the strategy for, for taking mm. Pervitine and for anyone just tuning in Pervitin was the commercial name for methamphetamine in Germany.
1: The surprising strategy of the attack against the West was to move the tank troops and to move the whole army with the tank troops as its avant-garde through the Aden Mountains in a very rapid fashion. And in order to do that, Pervitin was being used so the advance wouldn't stop within the first Three days and three nights. Um, the Western allies didn't think the Aden Mountains would be a threat because uh, any army would have to rest at night and then could easily be destroyed in that mountainous terrain. But the German strategy was to not stop and to reach the French border city of Sedan after three days and uh, three restless nights. And um, 35 million tablets of methamphetamine were just being distributed just before the advance and were being taken by the tank troops in regular intervals. Two pills uh, had to be taken once the advance starts, and then after 12 hours another pill, and then after 12 hours another pill. This was written down in the so-called Stimulant Decree. And it it actually worked. Um, The Germans reached uh, Sedan after uh, an an amazingly short period of time, namely three days and three nights, uh, while the French and British army were still in northern Belgium, where they had actually expected the German attack. And it took them uh, way longer to head back to France than it it took the German uh, tank troops to already invade the country and and to already head towards the channel and to cut off um, the Allied troops uh, from the French mainland. This is the famous sickle cut, as Churchill described it.
0: So I know that there were troops in the Allied forces and the American and British forces that used amphetamine. So, do you have any sense of what the difference was between the German military use of methamphetamine and the American and British use of amphetamine?
1: Actually, the Western Allies didn't use uh, amphetamine at all in the beginning. Uh, When the Germans attacked on May 10th, uh, 3,500 trucks filled with red wine were making their way from the French wine regions to the north of Belgium to supply the French troops uh, with red wine, which had been the drug of choice uh, in the First World War. Later on, the French army concluded that the use of red wine was actually a disadvantage in the Second World War uh, because a soldier drunk on red wine has a disadvantage compared to a soldier drugged with methamphetamine, which makes a person completely alert and awake, while red wine makes you rather tired. Uh, Three quarters of a liter were administered to each French soldier per day. So in the beginning, it was only the Germans uh, using a potent pharmaceutical drug. But there were reports coming to the surface in the fall of 1940 that the Germans are using methamphetamine and then also German planes shut down over uh, Great Britain were being examined and Pervitin was found. And then slowly the British Royal Air Force started a program trying to evaluate whether a methamphetamine or an amphetamine use could also be beneficial uh, to the British troops. And they concluded after they did uh, tests that uh, they should use amphetamine. So they reacted to the German uh, methamphetamine approach by giving out amphetamines in 1941 and later on. So we can say that the Germans were kind of changing the game and the Allies then reacted to it. And also the American forces... Often coming through Great Britain into the war, were being handed uh, these amphetamines, or we be, were being informed about the amphetamine use by the British Army uh, later on in the war, and then also took um, amphetamines and actually continued their amphetamine use also after the, uh, World War II in the wars of the second half of the 20th century.
0: So a question you ask in the book is: So many historians have studied Adolf Hitler. Uh, is it possible that there was a blind spot in a lot of historians in not noticing or not taking seriously enough the amount of drugs, addictive drugs, that Hitler was prescribed by his personal physician, Theo Morel? I- I'd like you to elaborate on that question for us because your interpretation is really different than other historians. And other some several other historians who have reviewed your book say that you're putting too much emphasis on the drugs that Hitler used, which we discussed earlier, and that you're exaggerating the amount of drugs that he Hmm. used. So I'd I'd like you to speak to that.
1: It was important for me to work with a prominent historian while I was researching the book and while I was designing or developing the book, and um, I had the fortune to work with the late Hans Mommsen, who was a leading uh, historian in Germany on national socialism, and when I presented him my findings about Hitler, Uh, he said that this explains Hitler's behavior or partly explains or helps to understand Hitler better um, after the fall of 1941. He says all Hitler biographies have a problem explaining a change in Hitler that basically starts in the fall of 1941. And uh, this is when his heavy uh, drug abuse uh, basically starts. So he he thought it was... um, perhaps a missing puzzle piece and and was an interesting angle uh, that could uh, give us a fuller picture of the so-called Führer. I recently realized that I actually have not examined even the full extent of uh, Hitler's drug abuse because in Blitz I don't even talk about um, the barbiturates that he took and I also don't talk about quite a few opiates that he takes before 1943. So I think in a way do not exaggerate Hitler's drug abuse, uh, rather to the contrary. I think what happened in reality might have been even more extreme than what I explain uh, in Blitz. And I, in fact, do not understand why historians have overlooked this uh, for so long because if you read the two prominent biographies uh, on Hitler, one by Joachim Fest and one by Ian Kershaw. You can see that they both realize that Morel plays a very important role. Um, both write about Hitler's fatal drug dependency or write that Morel gives Hitler uh, an incredible amount of uh, different uh, drugs, but they don't get into uh, the subject matter. They don't examine what really happened, uh, what drugs uh, had what effect, and uh, especially what effect uh, that might have had on Hitler's decision-making.
0: So let me read a quote to you. This is in the Mm -hmm. review of your book in The Guardian by Richard Evans. He writes, Germans, the author hints, were not really responsible for the support they gave to the Nazi regime, still less for their failure to rise up against it. This can only be explained by the fact that they were drugged up to the eyeballs and the excuses get even more crass when it comes to explaining the behavior of the Nazi leader. And he's referring there to the fact that you say a lot of Germans were taking um, addictive drugs during the war, not just Hitler and not just the soldiers.
1: So what, what is the argument by Evans?
0: That he thinks that you're excusing the German people oh. and the Nazis by saying, well, God, they were so drugged up. That's why they behaved the way they did.
1: Um yeah I think this is completely uh, wrong argument that Evans is making because I make it quite clear in Blitz that I don't uh, excuse or I, that I don't try to diminish the responsibility of the German people or or of of Hitler. Um It's a principle in law that if you inebriate yourself in order to commit a crime which you have planned prior, uh it does not lessen your responsibility and um i think i make i write about that uh quite uh intensely in the book so i think um Evans is making complete, completely completely uh, a false claim and um we we would have to ask him why why he read it like that because it's not written like that
0: and i just want to quote um Nikolaus Wachsman, who is a historian who wrote like an 800-page book on the concentration camps, and he says, if any substance really fueled Nazi violence on the killing field and in the camps, then it was not pervitine, It wasn't methamphetamine. It was alcohol, which Norman Oler discounts altogether. What's your reaction to that?
1: Well, I write in Blitz, in fact, that um, alcohol was the legal drug of choice of Nazi Germany, and um, I think it deserves uh, its own book. Um, I didn't want to go into um, alcohol um, because it is really a massive subject on its own.
0: I don't mean to put you on the spot with this, but have you come across anybody in your extended family or friends or colleagues who had relatives during World War II in Germany who conveyed stories about the use of methamphetamine in the military.
1: Well, um, I spoke to René Böll, who's the son of uh, Heinrich Böll, who won the Nobel Prize for Literature after the war. And he told me that his father first encountered Pervitin when he was a German soldier in, in World War II and that he also used it later on um for writing his books he would um, after a, a stressful day he would um go into his uh, office or his writing room uh, at 8 at night and take a pavitin and then be able to work until 2 or 3 at night and and work on his books um also um the mother of my partner in berlin told me that after the war her parents were still used uh, to Pervitine in such a way that they would put half a Pervitine into her uh, morning uh, cereal when she had um, a hard test uh, in school in the 50s. Um, I spoke to the father of a friend of mine who was fighting under Rommel. Um, my research showed that in Rommel's troops, uh, a lot of Pervitine uh, was being taken. And I spoke with him at length about the Battle of Alamein uh, in Africa, the decisive battle uh, against the British. And um, towards the end, I asked him, so what about Pervatine?" And before I asked him that question, he had been very forthcoming with information, very detailed um, in his memory. Uh, but when i asked him that question uh, he said uh, that there's nothing to talk about here and that he would like to end the conversation and he would he was clearly uncomfortable uh, with speaking about the subject um i think it was uh, a sort of taboo for many uh, german soldiers to actually talk about it because there's so many bad things that they were confronted with after the war uh, in germany that um, now to admit that they were also um, regular users of, of, a, of a hard uh, addictive uh, drug uh, might have been too much uh, for this gentleman to talk uh, with me about.
0: Norman Oler, thank you so much for talking with
1: us. Well, thanks for having me. It was really a pleasure to speak with you about it.
0: Norman Oler is the author of the new book Blitzed, Drugs in the Third Reich. After a short break, our TV critic David Bianculli will review the new season of the FX series The Americans, which is set during the Cold War. This is Fresh Air.